You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. It's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have Tracy Powell on with us, who is the Rebuilt Woman. Uh, Tracy, thanks so much for being here with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Why don't you start out and give us a little bit of background about you? Um, what kind of nurse are you, and, and how did you get into nursing? Well, at the moment, I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. I, as of last Sunday, I have been in nursing for 30 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I think we should say thank you for your service. Like <laughs> it's, It doesn't even feel like it, but um, so I started out the first eight years. I was in a telemetry unit and did charge and things like that. And then I moved into the NICU and I've been in NICU ever since for well over 20 years as charge transport and then eventually became a neonatal nurse practitioner um, about 13 years ago. And all the while, I always noticed the mental health patients, and I've always been a huge supporter of the mind-body-spirit connection, and I really was always drawn toward helping patients with the mental aspect of what they were going through, the emotional part, and especially being in the NICU. There's a lot of that, not just for families, but also for the staff. There's a lot of PTSD that can come out of the NICU on both sides, and um, on top of all of that, personally, I'd had my own things that I had been through that I worked my way through, and I began to feel like I would want to help people who have had similar experiences to me and have mental health challenges. And so a couple of years ago, I went back and got my postmaster's certificate as a PMHMP. And now I have my own practice called The Rebuilt Woman, where I work primarily with women who have been through complex trauma to overcome the things that they're uh, dealing with so that they can step into full and whole life. I also right now run something called Nurses Healing Nurses. I started that um, uh, about five months ago in response to what is going on in nursing at the moment. I've had so many nurses reach out to me and it, it got overwhelming after a while because I was like, I can't respond to all these people, but I want to help them. And so I created Nurses Healing Nurses. And right now it's a, a group on Facebook that has almost a thousand people in it. So hopefully this podcast will get us over that thousand mark. We want as many nurses as we can to come and join the conversation to support the well-being of nurses in what we're dealing with right now in this whole profession. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said <laughs> an awful lot there. So I want to unpack some of it, but um, so you were a neonatal, neonatal nurse practitioner and uh, yeah, I, I can absolutely agree. Like the mental health piece, I, you know, at, I was the a director of acute care nurse practitioner program for several years. And when I first took it over, there was not one lesson, not one PowerPoint on mental health. And that always, that like just blew me away. Like <laughs> we should have a whole course in like mental right. health. Um, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. I was NICU, but uh, neurosurgery, neuro, uh, neurocritical care. And yeah, it's the same thing. Like the people that came through there, um, I mean, those, the family members, um, I mean, they were on the verge of just collapse before their, <laughs> their family member uh, 
uh, the breadwinner of the family went into like, you know, a horrible stroke or, you know, became incapacitated or something. Right. And it was, it was hard on the staff um, and it was hard to deal with. And it was hard to separate like their anxiety and issues from like being personally attacked and stuff. And <laughs> yeah. so the, that's a huge, huge area. So, okay. So you um, decided to go for psych mental health. Um, and that was just a couple of years ago. Did that give you what you were looking for in terms of um, what you thought you needed to help people? Um, it gave me a, it gave me the foundation, right? So I could get the certificate, so I could open my practice. But I'm an internationally certified trauma treatment specialist, and so I had to go beyond that and get a lot more training. And um, yeah, so there was a lot more that I've done since then to really get my practice to where it is right now. I do things very differently from most therapists. I don't see people for an hour a week to week. People come to me for two or three days at a time and we, they have me all day long and we just work through the things that they have been dealing with. And I really get to the root of the traumas and the false beliefs that they have so that those things can heal and they can move on with their lives. Wow. So for two to three days at a time, so how did you come up with that kind of like um, model? Well, so funny enough, and actually some of it comes from my own challenges. Like I had a lot of childhood abuse and I was living with PTSD and I was going to therapy an hour a week for years, years, six years. And I never really got to what I knew was the core of the issue because when you go for an hour, it's like for trauma survivors, even though it happened decades ago, it can be terrifying to walk into your story. And so then I wasn't getting anywhere. And all along, I just had this knowing in me. If I could just sit with someone for a day who knew how to help me to really process through this trauma, I know I could get through it. I had accomplished a lot in my life. I knew I could do this. I felt safe and had the time and space. And you know, there's this big theory in trauma treatment that you don't do anything until you get someone through the stabilization phase. But the problem is a lot of therapists can get stuck in that because they're so worried that they're going to push the trauma survivor over the edge. And there was research coming out looking at some people were doing intensives with trauma survivors. And when I read that research, I was like, this is what I need. But it kind of went against the grain. But I just have had this knowing that it's the thing that would help me. And so when I found someone who helped me, I kind of worked with her, adopted her model and started my own kind of process. And then I started offering it. And when I first opened my practice, I did do the hourly week week stuff. And I was getting somewhere with my clients, but it was taking them up to a year. Where now when they come in, I see in three days what happened in a year for some people. And it's just, it's amazing when you have someone who really has that time and space to work through it. Uh, that, that's, that's so powerful. Because, yeah, I can imagine like, you know, for someone like me, it would take you an hour to, you know, figure out like, <laughs> to just to scratch the surface because, right. you know, it, it is hard to... Just, I mean, some people can sit down and tell you their life story and blurt it out, but those aren't usually the people that have like the deep rooted issues all the time because people that are comfortable talking about it don't tend to have the same issues. But um, yeah, but to really dig down deep, um, that's, that's really impressive. So how does it work in terms of like, so somebody comes to you and they want to do a session, you have them clear out two or three days of their time. Do they, are you on Zoom or do they come to your office? How does that work? Most of the time they come to me 
Um, usually what will happen is they'll come and they'll get an Airbnb. And if they come from out of town, that's part of the cost of coming. Like I'll find the Airbnb, they'll stay there and I will come to them and I have it stocked for food and I have everything that they need. Because when we do a day, people are usually pretty mentally exhausted and I leave them with some things to do in the evening to kind of like reset and ground themselves as well as continue, if they continue to process through things to take notes so that we can talk about the next day, um, what we're gonna do. Um, occasionally I will do it on Zoom, but I, I do different modalities that really, personally I feel like are better in person. And so I prefer to do it in person. But if someone really can't get there, then I'll, I'll do it on Zoom. And do you see, like, is there usually the response that um, you're hoping for, the milestone that the, the client's hoping for, like on at the end of day one or, or day two, or um, do they need multiple of these types of sessions? So it depends on the person. I will always, before anybody comes to me, I have, I do a free consultation with them through, actually it's not Zoom, I use something called Doxy. And, um, we will talk about their expectations and what they're looking for. And, you know, I have to decide, are they even someone who, that I feel it's safe enough to do this with? But I will say most of the people I work with are professional women who have this knowing that something is not quite right inside and they're ready to find to deal with it. So these women have really done a lot with their lives and they're pretty ready to step into this. So we set realistic expectations of if I had come to me, my realistic expectation would be there's a lot here that we need to unpack and we need to work through. And so I don't know that one intensive is gonna cut it. I will tell you that so far across the board, I haven't had anybody leave the first intensive and not want to come back if there was more work through because they see the difference that it makes. Mm -hmm. And um, usually if it's someone who I think needs more than one, we'll break it up in two day blocks. So they don't get too overwhelmed by it and so that they can kind of relax after the first two days until we do the next two, which usually is around a month later. Well, that's, uh, I love this model a lot. <laughs> and that prevents you from having to do like a bunch of weekly sessions because that's going to burn out um, the psych in piece as well. I can't imagine seeing the same per person week after week and you spend the, the whole hour trying to get to scratch the surface and then you get nowhere and it's like, all right, we'll see you next week. So, you know. Right. And it's tough because, you know, they come in, you check in for the week and what's going on and what was their current trigger that they're dealing with. And by the time you deal with that, like, it's all right, it's time to go. And Personally, I feel like that's a letdown to my clients too. Like they come to me because I specialize in this thing and they want true healing. And if I'm just constantly sending them back out on the street and they're having to come back to me time after time, we're not getting that far. And I don't want to see people having to be committed to an appointment once a week for the rest, you know, for years and years and years when I know I can help them work through um, a lot of what they've been through. So do you prescribe medications as well or do you find that this kind of uh, negates a lot of the medications? I have gotten to the point where I don't really prescribe meds because I don't do it often enough. And so I feel like I would rather my colleagues who, well, I'll send clients to them if I need to. But I'll tell you, honestly, a lot of the people that come to me that are on medication, by the time we're done, they're usually close to being off of them, if not off of them. Because so why is this not like the, the, the standard model? there's not a lot of research about it. I mean, there's more out there now than there was. Um, again, the, you know, this, there's this theory that says, it's the, the model of trauma healing that says there's a stabilization phase. 
before you get into the, the um, processing phase followed by integration. And, you know, this is honestly just my own personal feeling about this. But having been through my own experience in therapy, I have discovered, you know, a lot of therapists get stuck in how do I know when they're stabilized enough that I can get into the real processing. And it's scary because we're in a litigious society, not to mention you don't want to think that you've pushed your client over the edge. But I think part of that for me is if I have someone with complex trauma come to me and tell me they're feeling suicidal, I recognize that that's a part of them that went through their trauma. And if I can step into it with them, rather than push them out the door and say, okay, I can't deal with this because you might kill yourself, <laughs> makes it worse. Yes. Right? They come because they're feeling that way. And so if we partner and we go into that thing and they have the time and the space, it's, it's amazing what I see happen. Now, is this something that insurance companies will pay for? Sadly, no. Usually they might pay for an hour session, but for the most part, they won't pay for this kind of um, session. So they'll pay for an hour a week for the next 10 years, but not two days. Right. Crazy, right? <laughs> Yeah, and the reality is the two days with me that saves years of therapy, it, you know, the financial impact is, it's a lot in the front end, but it, right, it would have saved a lot down the road, not to mention all the health issues and all the other things. When people are constantly dealing with anxiety and depression, they're going to work, they're getting sick, there's a lot of things going on. If you can get to the root, you can help that whole process. Now, do you still have to see them after the two-day um, intensive? Like, do you start seeing them weekly then, or is it... Um... No, so usually what will happen is, depending on where they are at the end of it, I always do a follow-up check-in, and we see where they are. And I have some people who have regular therapists who then use me as an adjunct, so I'll, I'll do trauma treatment and processing, and then they will stay with their therapist until they feel comfortable. There are some people that have, you know, they've had PTSD for years and there's a lot of physiological responses that they have that they need to learn new skills for managing, you know, anxiety and kind of like the habits that we develop through having trauma for years. So then I'll help them connect with someone. Um, I have a couple of trauma coaches that I work with that um, I might just need to connect them with a coach just to help them have someone to check in with as they continue to learn these new skills that they have. Okay. So, I mean, you don't, uh, you're not typically doing kind of like a long-term follow-up with them. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is amazing, Tracy. <laughs> but they do have access to me. So if they want, I mean, they all know they can reach out to me and I'm, I have people texting me constantly just to check in and I think it kind of helps them feel connected. So how do people find you? Like, is it, um, I mean, is it word of mouth? Like you, you network with other psych, uh, psychiatrist or, or a therapist? <laughs> um, people, most of it is word of mouth at this point. I don't, I have an ad on psychology today, but I don't, most of the people that come to me have heard of me through someone else at this point, or they've heard me on a podcast. Um, I have a very different clientele in that like, this is not for the faint of heart, right? So it's not, it's not nearly as terrifying as people think it is when they come in. And when we first do our first call, like I'll run them through an exercise so that they can see that they, there's a way they can partner with themselves so that it feels not as terrifying because it is a part of them that is terrifying. I just did this with a woman yesterday. We sat on the call and I worked her through this exercise. And by the time she, we were done, she was like, how do I finish this work? Because she could feel the difference it makes 
in the methods I use to help people. And so, yeah, it's just, it's kind of where we are. It just helps them then go from person to person and say, wow, I went and did this thing and you should try it out. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So I'm sure this is keeping you pretty busy. Um, but at the same time, you created this website, Nurses Healing Nurses. So tell us a little bit about that and where that came from. Well, so I would say the end of last year, well, part of most of last year, I had a lot of nurses and nurse practitioners coming to me and they were high level physicians, some of them. And what was happening with a lot of them is they were having this huge collapse. And I can recognize a lot of people sometimes when they have like really massive collapses, there's usually childhood stuff underneath that. And that's what was happening. And so we were working through that, but then through talking to these people, I was hearing about all these other nurses that were really struggling. Plus we know, we've heard what's going on out there. The suicide rate has gone up exponentially. People are leaving the field like crazy. And I had, I'm in a couple PTSD groups on Facebook as a provider and lots of nurses were in there and they were reaching out to me through private messages. And ultimately I just got to the point where I was like, I, I couldn't keep up with the messages. And so I ended up starting Nurses Healing Nurses because I feel like at this point, you know, we want to, we want policies to get better, but the end point hasn't gotten there for a long time yet, right? Nobody, these big changes have not happened. And so just as I empower my clients, I want to empower nurses to support each other and let's quit eating our young and let's stand up and be there for each other so that we can help each other heal through this madness that we're dealing with right now. But you know, the funny thing is I just gave a talk last week and I realized as I was giving my talk, the things that we're struggling with right now, really I've seen throughout my whole career. It's just that I think the last couple of years have really exacerbated it. And so now I just want to help nurses come together so that we can try to make the changes for ourselves and put us in the safest place possible. Mm -hmm. And what are some of those things that you that you that you've been seeing throughout your career that are being highlighted now? Well, you know the whole nurses eat your young thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. I've decided maybe this will be the place to do it. I want to start a movement called "Don't Be a Diane." Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be able to name your child Diane. <laughs> that you'll never be able to name your child Diane <laughs> right right and when I was a young nurse in the NICU I when you when you're in the NICU you're taught about nephrotizing enterocolitis which is a bowel disease that the babies can get and the bowels can perforate and they can die quickly and it's like it's it's drummed into you and as a new NICU nurse you're terrified that the baby's going to get it and one of the ways you check it is by checking the abdominal girth and I it was like two weeks in and my preceptor went to lunch and she said, just go ahead and change that baby's diaper and check her girth and I'll be back. No problem. Well, I checked her girth and it was considerably bigger than the time before. So I went to this nurse at the end of the hall who I call Diane, but that's not her real name. Um, and she was on the computer, on the internet shopping. And I said to her, would you mind just coming and checking this baby's girth? Because I think I got this crazy number that's way bigger than before and I just want to be sure that it's right. Because in my mind, this baby's about to explode. And she looked right at me with her hand on the keyboard and said, what are you stupid? And so I walked away and like the lesson was don't ask an experienced nurse any questions. And that left me with, so do I go talk to the doctor and look like an idiot? Oh my God, yeah. Second, like, what do I do? And that never left me. It has always made me think about how I respond to people, especially nurses when they ask me questions. Mm -hmm. 
And I realized when I gave that talk, it's been 21 years since that happened. It still sits with me. And so mm -hmm. I think I want to start the Don't Be a Diane movement. <laughs> yeah, there's, each other. there's definitely something there. And there's definitely something about the way we talk to each other. Um, and, you know, in my mind, some of it is uh, nurses seem to have something to prove. And I'm not quite sure. And I can't articulate this yet, but we have something to prove, but I'm not sure what it is that we're trying to prove or to whom, um, but it feels like there's something, and I, I think it goes back to one of the reasons, I mean, I, I mean, and I'm guilty of this, I have like a gazillion degrees and, and certifications and whole alphabet soup behind my name, and it's mm -hmm. one of those things that I'm trying to prove something no to who or what <laughs> but you know yeah. if I keep getting degrees uh someday somebody will notice I guess I don't know well so my belief for that is it's ourselves yeah many nurses especially come from childhoods that didn't necessarily teach us how to have good self-esteem or good self-worth we don't even recognize it and so then we grow up to become these people who I'm the same way degree after degree after degree when is it going to be enough until I finally realized, wait a minute, who am I proving this to? I'm the one who's doubting myself. And no matter how many letters I get, it's not helping me not doubt myself. I have to go into the part of me that needs that and help her know you're fine. So it's got to come from within us. Yeah, and that that was something that I eventually recognized because um, so for here I was on the unit, I'd been there for 20 years, all these degrees, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the doctors uh, would, you know, I was with them for like seven years. And I knew this one doctor from like med school through seven years of the program. And then the day he graduated, they made him like the director of the cerebrovascular center. And I was like, I'm sorry, like I've been here for 20 years, wow. I have a PhD and 16 other degrees. Why does he get the job? Well, he's a doctor. I'm like, well, I'm a doctor too. <laughs> you know, it was just like, and I'm like, all right, so this, there, there's something here, you know, and so no matter how many degrees I have, this system isn't going to accept me. So, you know, I, I it was one of those things that I'm just like, I, I need to go, like, because I'm done proving myself here and I need to do something for myself. Yeah. But, um, okay, so for the Nurses Healing Nurses, so you created, um, a Facebook group, is that correct? Yes. And what do you guys talk about in the Facebook group? Well, some people will come in and just talk about the struggles they're having at work. Um, I try to keep it light sometimes and just have a little fun. Like the other day I posted and finished the sentence this one time, this one patient. Um, I put a lot of like mental health tips in there. I'm trying to help nurses learn this isn't just, you know, we think of mental health as, oh, I'm just having an emotionally bad day, but the reality is stress, toxic stress especially, has a physiologic component to it. It affects our brain and prevents us from having full access to the front of our brain where we have good logic and reasoning and impulse control. And if I don't have control over that part of my brain, I'm not going to make good decisions. When you look at, you know, like this issue with Redonda Vault that just happened. I put a post in the group about it and most people were very supportive and talked about systems and what was going on. But there was a couple people, probably Diane, <laughs> that said, oh, but she didn't do the five rights. Well, we all know the five rights. I don't for one second think that woman woke up that day and said, I'm going to not do the five rights and a patient's going to die. 
stress on our brains. You can look at something and think you see something and it's not really what it is because if we don't have full access to that part of our brain, things happen. Just in our day-to-day lives, things happen. So when you put yourself in a stressful situation at work, it can get worse. So I'm trying to help people to learn how to get control over their own brains and their stress systems so that they can be as present and engaged in the here and now at work as possible and in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the hospital doesn't really lend to that. I mean, especially our unit with neurosurgery. I mean, I, I could literally walk in to in the ICU and have full eight beds completely full turn over all eight beds like all eight would leave and then we get a whole new set of eight beds so it's like this constant stress of like you know and it that was not an unusual day it's not like that happened once in a blue moon it happened like (laughs) at least once a week like it was just a constant movement and the constant stress because everybody that comes in is now dealing with a family member. Uh, typically with our group, it was like the 50 year olds. Uh, so they're breadwinners and um, you know, a lot of them were males, but you know, some male breadwinners um, that were fine an hour ago and now they're like comatose. It's, you know, it, it causes a, a, an incredible amount of stress on the family members who then have to interact with the nursing staff. And that's, um, that's very intense as well. So, right. Yeah. So it's looking at how in that day, if you can just take one minute and this is going to involve units being willing to come together and say, what are the one minute breaks? Cause literally in one minute, you could step away. If you just looked at a picture that made you laugh, that will bring your stress down a little bit. What are the little things that we can do throughout the day to support one one another? So, especially if you're in that kind of unit that support you up to be in the best place that you can be during your day. I like that. (laughs) And that's, uh, that's like an easy thing that you can do right away. So you don't have to take like a 10 week course to figure it out. You can. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you another easy thing you can do is how many nurses have you known through your career that come to work late all the time? Uh, you are rushing to work late all the time you're already in stress brain Mm -hmm. you're already starting your day off not in the best place Mm -hmm. work at 705 i have no doubt you could show up at 657 (laughs) it's true i know that like with my son uh, oh my gosh getting this child out of the house in the morning we have until exactly 805 to walk out the door because if we're one minute past that we're going to be late because he Mm -hmm. just can't walk fast and and (laughs) I'm like Matthew we have to go now like I'm gonna physically pick you up Um, (laughs) but uh yeah I mean this all of this is is really great um so how long have you had this uh the the rebuilt woman how long has that been around that's been well I've had the business for three years um my practice I moved into my practice a year and a half ago do you anticipate like training others to do what you do or building the practice even bigger? Yeah, I do, I do consults for practitioners that are interested in the way I do it. I am actually right now on a mission to help PMHMPs that are interested in learning more about trauma. So I've written a trauma course that um, I'm doing. There's, there's one coming up that's going to be online through Zoom. I was hoping to do them all in person, but between the way travel is right now and COVID, hasn't worked out so great. So right now there's two scheduled. There's one that will be through Zoom in person um, over two weekends. The first weekend's in July, the second one's in August. And we're doing one in Portland, Oregon in August. 
So oh. that's going to be, um, it's going to be a cool course. And I have a nurse who is an RN turned mental health professional who's going to come and teach trauma, I mean, uh, therapeutic skills. I'm going to do all the trauma stuff. I have Andrew Penn from University of Southern, or UCSF, um, does research with psilocybin. So we're going to talk about the latest and greatest and working with trauma and um, psychedelics. And, um, and it's going to be a pretty cool course. That is pretty cool. I just finished an article on psychedelics. So I'm very excited. I'm looking to get it published now. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I love that topic a lot. So, um, all right, Tracy, this is absolutely amazing. I, I love it. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you? If they're, if they're interested in your course, how would they find out information about this? Sure, I would just, the best thing would be to email me. Or the course is on the website, um, therebuiltwoman.com. It's under my services, but you can also email me at tracy at therebuiltwoman.com. T-R-A-C-I, Tracy. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this podcast interview with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.